Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Elisa Branch, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's episode features an interview with Selma Hepp, the Deputy Chief Economist at CoreLogic. Selma joined me today on the show to discuss CoreLogic's most recent Home Price Insights report, which looks at national and local home price trends and forecasts. We discuss some of the economic factors behind their report, affordability concerns, and CoreLogic's market forecast. But before we listen, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Want to give your customers the streamlined mortgage experience they expect? Fannie Mae's digital mortgage solutions are fast, efficient, contactless, and they save paper. Our digital mortgage solutions provide efficiency for you, convenience for your customers, and deliver a great experience at every stage of the mortgage cycle. Own the mortgage experience with Fannie Mae's innovative solutions. Visit FannieMae.com slash go digital. Hello, and welcome back to Housing Wire Daily. I'm Elissa Branch, and today I am joined by Selma Hepp, the Deputy Chief Economist at CoreLogic. Selma, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Elissa, so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you coming on to talk to us today. And today we are going to be looking at CoreLogic's most recent monthly home price insights report, which was released this past Tuesday, October 5th, and it looks at home price trends. But before we look at the report, and this is everybody's um, most favorite question, can you tell me and our listeners a little bit like about yourself, the work you do over at CoreLogic, you and your team do over at CoreLogic, and how you found yourself in the industry? Sure. So my title is Deputy Chief Economist. Um, there's a second part to my title that uh, says that I'm uh, Executive Research and Insights. So that is a, in, in itself says a lot, you know, a, a lot of my role is about analyzing, interpreting and forecasting economic trends in real estate and mortgage and insurance. Um, so in other words, you know, our team, my team and I, we use um, the wealth of housing, mortgage and insurance data that CoreLogic collects and try basically to make sense out of it, <laughs> you know, maybe to identify some leading indicators of changes in the housing market. So in some sense, we do consider ourselves as a canary in a mine. Um, and then we develop uh, actionable insights uh, about housing market trends that are useful for you guys, for your audience, for our clients, for, uh, you know, just broader uh, consumer uh, um, audience. Yeah, there's uh, definitely a lot of data you guys have to sort through. And I'm sure, well, we over here at Housing Wire are very appreciative of the work you do. And I'm sure our audience is as well. <laughs> I'm um, very glad to hear that. <laughs> so let's dive into the report. Um, the report, which is titled the Home mm-hmm. Price Insights Report, it looks at a couple of different factors on both the local and like metro scale and also the national scale. For example, the report looks at national home prices, um, economic forecast, um, and market trends. So can you share a little bit about the methodology behind the report and what kinds of numbers 
and factors do you guys analyze when compiling all the data? Sure, sure. So the first part of the report is our CoreLogic HPI. So this is our home price index. We uh, actually in-house have a couple indices. We also have Case-Shiller, but this one is solely CoreLogic index. Um, and it it basically, so in a release today or on Tuesday, sorry, that we are covering today, uh, we were looking at where August home prices were. And so in developing this index, we use repeat sales transactions from our public records data, servicing and securities databases. And so what's important to distinguish about uh, repeat sales transactions uh, in developing this index is that they, uh, it's, you know, the idea is to control for the quality of housing. So unlike median home prices, which can be affected by mix of sales. So if one year you have uh, more higher price homes being sold, that the uh, median sales price is going to show higher increase, say, than if you are tracking the change in price on the same uh, quant- quality of a home, right? So, so that's how that, that's the important caveat about this uh, home price index. Um, in you know, as a part of this index, we do look at a type of housing, so whether it's attached or detached. And what's very interesting, uh, since the pandemic started, we see this divergence in the appreciation among attached homes being condos and detached properties. And then we also do this at the zip code level, at the state level, CBSA level, and, and so on. The other part of the report are the forecasts. Uh, they, these are also at uh, you know local geographies, but basically you know it's a very um, intense econometric model <laughs> that uh, you know is used to develop this forecast, um, and it combines the equilibrium home price, uh, which is a function of real disposable income per capita. And why I say that is because this is the product that also uh, lends itself into the a housing market um, a market conditions uh, indicator and market risk indicator. So basically, it looks at whether uh, home prices are growing at the same pace as re- real disposable income. Uh, and so, for example, when the this forecast uh, exceeds the long term value of more than ten percent, uh, then this uh, then this market is considered overvalued, right? And then when uh, uh, long term values exceed uh, the index level uh, by less than ten percent, then the markets are considered undervalues, not exceed, but are lower than 10% than that that, uh, long-term value. So, you know, again, going back to what goes into this data, it's real disposable income, it's uh, unemployment rate, it's uh, a housing stock, it's population changes, it's, uh, of course, changes in income. Uh, So a whole lot of variables go into these forecasts. And so, as I mentioned again, the, the the two other products that come out of the forecast is the one is the market risk indicator, and so the market risk indicator um, gives us a, a likelihood uh, home prices falling. So it it is a good uh, a measure of likelihood of housing bubble and whether it's going to burst, and we have that for 392 major metros in the country, and so basically uh, it gives us a likelihood 
uh, of in two scenarios. One is if the uh, uh, there's going to be a likelihood of 10% of more price reduction or a likelihood of uh, less than 10% of price reduction. And so the higher the risk score, obviously the, the higher the risk of price reduction. Yeah, so I think that, you know, there's a lot in this report, obviously, uh, but I think this generally covers all the, the variables that we include each month. You uh, you use the word intense to describe the data. And I think after um, listening to you kind of break down what all you guys factor in, I think intense is the most apt word to describe that. <laughs> so for, yeah. Yes. Um, so now I kind of want to touch a little bit on affordability. You, you kind of mentioned that a little bit in that answer, um, but it has been a pretty important topic in the industry over the past couple months, as I'm sure you well know. So I did want to discuss some national home price growth. According to the report, home prices have increased 18.1% year over year in August. This increase now marks the largest annual gain in the 45-year history of the data that you guys have been collecting at CoreLogic. What do you think drove this increase and how could it impact the home buying decisions of potential buyers? Yeah, so, you know, this is um, sort of the acceleration in home prices, you know, has taken a little while. So back, you know, before the pandemic or at the onset of the pandemic, home prices were sort of in, you know, that that historical average or four or five percent, depending on the market. Um, and then they actually slowed down for a couple of months uh, because, you know, we all sort of stopped everything. But since then, it, there's been this gradual acceleration to get to this point of the fastest uh, annual growth in the history of our data. Uh, but there is a number of drivers, you know, you can't really just think of one thing that happened, but there were so many things that sort of combined uh, brought us to this point today. Um, the first one being is that, um, you know, even before the pandemic, we were in a decade long, long uh, underproduction of new homes. So we had inadequate uh, supply of homes for sale. And that was due to a number of reasons. You know, we all have talked about NIMBYs and then at state and level uh, land use restrictions, zoning. Uh, then there is uh, the lack of construction labor, material shortages, uh, in, and you know, also consolidation among builders uh, following the Great Recession. So, you know, when the spike in demand came uh, came up, uh, some of them were actually not prepared or just were not expecting the demand to surge as much as it did. Um, the other uh, variable is that um, the pandemic created a major jump in demand. So, you know, we had families that have been, you know, been talking about millennials. When is it their, their time to, to come forward and start buying homes? Well, it did. <laughs> you know, it's been a couple of years, but it really, their demand or their timeline really got pulled forward uh, uh, when the pandemic started because families wanted more space. They needed to work from home and, and have more space for the, the little babies that had running around that used to be in cities. Um, and so, you know, that's on one, one part of the demand uh, surge. The other, was, the other one was that wealthier families um, accelerated the purchase of second homes. You know, we've we've heard about markets that, uh, because of their outdoor amenity, whether that's beaches, uh, mountains, lakes, you know, really saw a surge this time uh, because of the pandemic. So, you know, uh, so that was another component to 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 demand increase. You know, and then there were record low mortgage rates, you know, rates were declining for a long time, 
but they really uh, took a dip uh, when the pandemic uh, started, you know, and that's because we just sort of weren't even sure when are we going to be able to get back on track with our economy. Uh, Well, fortunately we did, but we still, you know, record low rates definitely helped. Uh, It made financing a home much cheaper. And then, you know, buyers who maybe were saving to buy a couple of years later were actually now able to get that home at their budget because monthly mortgage payment was now reduced because the uh, low uh, interest rates. You know, and then I mentioned demographic, but that's, you know, a very important component of this because um, it's just contributed so much to the demand. And those those are the millennial buyers that were approaching their first time home buying age. uh, And that really accelerated uh, during the, you know, when the pandemic started. So a lot of these things taken together, you know, we are where we are today. It definitely sounds like this whole lack of affordability and just a lot of problems in the past year is more so a culmination of the past decade on top of the pandemic, not just necessarily the pandemic itself. Longstanding issue with a lot of very complex factors in in play here. Right, right. So we kind of looked at this on a national level, but the report includes a state-by-state breakdown of home prices And there were no states that reported a decline in home prices. In fact, there were a couple of states that were close to or a little bit above that 30% range for year-over-year increase. If we compare that to the national average of that 18.1%, it's, you know, a little bit higher. Um, Some states like Idaho, Arizona, Utah... I'm very curious as to why these specific areas, maybe seemingly unexpected areas, having such large increases compared to other states that you think you might typically see this in like New York or more states in the New England area. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question because, you know, it's really these mountain West states, uh, just the Southwest, Arizona being Southwest state, uh, you know, really, did um, you know see a surge in demand and then as a result in in prices, and so again there are a number of reasons here as well. Um, you know one is that for example if you looked at all these Idaho, Arizona, Utah, um, they these were relatively more affordable areas prior to, prior to the pandemic and home prices. And, you know, some of them were um, half of or more than half or less than half of what the home prices were and in adjacent states. So, for example, Washington State uh, or California. So, uh, you know, you know, pandemic enabled a lot of people to work from home now and they were able to move from these more expensive coastal regions to the area, to the areas that were, you know, rich in outdoor amenities and were much more affordable. So the folks coming from the coastal areas had budgets that were 20, 30, 40% higher than the budgets of the local residents. And so these uh, migrants were able and willing to bid home prices at much higher pace uh, than, than, you know, and, and again, because of lack of supply. So none of this would have, would have happened if there wasn't lack of supply, but because of lack of supply, they were willing to bid or they were bidding so much above uh, the, the the listing asking price, you know, to just to be able to get that home. And, you know, there was reports of 10, 20, 30 uh, bids coming in within days of homes being listed for sale. So, 
you know, so that that leads itself, lends itself to, to really strong home price acceleration. But Arizona, for example, um, and Utah as well, you know, they were already seeing population growth uh, at the fastest pace nationally, even prior to the pandemic. So a lot of people were already moving there. You know, there were a lot of jobs being created. Uh, and oftentimes they were, these were higher wage jobs, they were tech jobs. Uh, and so they were, um, you know, ready for those folks maybe coming from other regions that are more expensive to, to take these jobs. And, um, you know, again, slow, slow rate of new construction. And so you have this imbalance in demand and supply. But in Arizona, for example, in the latest case show we reported, I mean, it's in, in, our, in this report, too, if uh, if you look at the you know past two years, but but Arizona reported 25 months of strongest home price, I mean, Phoenix, Arizona, of strongest home price appreciation among, among the 20 cities uh, index in, in, in case shore. So, um, you know, so, so some of this was already going on. It's just that, you know, it got sort of Ubered up <laughs> during the recession. And so, so just to give you a sense of like the difference in home prices in, you know, in those areas versus where people were coming from in Phoenix, you know, uh, average local price is say $450,000, uh, where people that were coming from LA were paying 1 million people from Seattle, 800 and people even from Chicago were paying more, closer to 500 than those folks in, uh, than the prices were in Phoenix. So obviously, you know, you know, when you have a much higher budget, you may be willing to, to spend more. Um, and then the third thing is there is, you know, in some states where we saw a lot of immigration and a lot of strong home price appreciation, those were all also states that had no income taxes. Um, you know, for example, Nevada being one of them, and Nevada is adjacent to uh, California, and it had one of the strongest uh, state-level home price growth, uh, you know, obviously at the CBS level as well. But, you know, just this ability to work from home and set up residence somewhere else and not pay income taxes could have been an incentive for some people as well. With the idea of people with more income, more disposable income, moving to more rural areas or areas with lower cost of living or no state income tax. I can't say that I blame them. I got to say, I, if I had the money and the opportunity to move into a nice house um, on, you know, in a mountain somewhere in Colorado, can't say I would pass it up. So I definitely see the appeal. I, 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 I definitely see the appeal. <laughs> we talked about affordability a little bit earlier, but I kind of wanted to talk about it in respect to wage inequality and wages and income. So according to CoreLogic's data, 59% of consumers looking to purchase a home reported a combined household earning of at least six figures. We compare that to 10% looking to purchase who earn less than $50,000. If affordability has become this very prominent concern for low to moderate income potential buyers, what do these numbers tell us about their actual buying potential? And also kind of in that same vein, what impact do you think that investor buying activity has on affordability? 
Mm-hmm. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, invertibility is a very um, interesting debate because, um, you know, a lot of numbers get masked in the national aggregates. And there's so much difference in, the, in between first time home buyers and move up buyers, because, again, remember how much uh, home appreciation has helped move up buyers uh, have more equity in their homes. So being able to, um, you know, so not, not having the same level of affordability challenge as first time buyers. But, you know, based on the uh, figures you you mentioned here, uh, it tells us that only really one in 10 buyers can actually uh, uh, purchase a home. Well, this is just, uh, you know, and this is just among those who are actually looking for purchase. I mean, think about how many people just don't even bother to look because, you know, the income is not sufficient in, in their local market to even compete. So, uh, you know, so so it's really uh, challenging for those folks to to buy a home. But the other thing that's important is again um, this question of accumulated equity and and having enough for a down payment. So you know, with first time uh, buyers, they've had much harder challenge with this uh, accelerated home prices to come up with that twenty percent down payment uh, because you know mortgage rates have helped mortgage payment uh, stay steady. Uh, but but <clears throat> new buyers coming into the market now have to ha- come up with a larger chunk of cash. You know, and for some folks. That's that's very challenging. You know, it's it's particularly if you're making if your household makes less than fifty thousand dollars combined income. That's that's incredibly you know difficult. But again, affordability, as I mentioned, gets so massed in national aggregates because there are markets in the country that are affordable. You know, there are uh, areas in Midwest, uh, in the South, where you can actually buy a two hundred thousand dollar home. Um, even a new home potentially, and you know the fifty thousand uh, dollars is enough. So you know affordability really is a challenge in these coastal markets, in undersupplied markets, in markets where uh, there's been um, maybe much stronger income inequality uh, dispersion that we've had, and so folks that uh, are competing in those markets have a much harder time getting in. And again, like you mentioned, this gets uh, uh, even more becomes even more challenging when investors buyers come investor buyers come in because in our recent data we've we've sort of been tracking investor buyers and you know anecdotally you know everybody's been talking so much more investors buyers are coming in since beginning of this year and we are actually now seeing that in the data um <clears throat> and these investor buyers are generally competing with entry level buyers as well. So, you know, and they're coming in with with cash and uh, they're maybe oftentimes willing to waive any inspections. And that can be very dangerous for young buyers. You know, they don't necessarily want to waive the inspection because if something goes wrong and they don't have that, that um, you know, savings to fix the house, it's, it's, it's just really a challenge. You know, so investor buyers can create a very difficult situation for first-time buyers. Yeah, again, this affordability is very much, it's not the same same type of question depending on income level and depending on whether you're a first-time buyer or move-up buyer. So we've spent some time talking about 2021's reported numbers, but the report also puts a pretty big emphasis on forecasted market numbers. It indicates that home prices will increase 0.3% month over month from August this year to September, and then 2.2% year over year from August 2021 to August 2022. So with these numbers in mind, I'm curious on what you think it would take 
within the next year, within the next couple of months to see a real slowdown or a return to semi-normalcy. Right. So, you know, what's really important now with this um, anxiety around how much home price growth we've seen that the return is, um, you know, it's a, it's a gradual return. So we don't see a sudden drop because, you know, that would just send people into a panic and, and that never ends well. Um, but we, I think we are already seeing some signs of what I would call buyer fatigue, uh, whether that's because, you know, they're reaching their affordability ceilings, you know, this is, this is as much as they can afford and they can't find anything else in that price range, or it's a fatigue from facing the competition, you know, and just having put so many offers out there and not getting it, you know, just being sort of like, I'm going to wait this out, you know, so it could be a combination of both. But, you know, affordability is a real issue for many buyers and they end up, do end up eventually stepping away from, uh, uh, from buying a home as home prices continue to rise. So, you know, as these home, pri- home buyers step away, that takes away some pressure on home prices. And immediately if you have fewer buyers bidding for a home, uh, then the bidding price uh, over the asking price, because this is another thing that came out as a result of this, is that a lot of homes are selling above the asking price. I think seven in 10 homes were selling over the asking price. So that becomes uh, less of an issue and fewer homes are selling over the asking price. Um, you know, so so that's one uh, step in the, that right direction of, of slowing down or, or returning to some, some level of normalcy. The other is mortgage rates. You know, uh, when mortgage rates uh, uh, increase, that can cause buyers to pause and, you know, even just uh, completely um, leave the market. Um, and we've seen some increase in mortgage rates uh, um, last ever since July. Um, I think mortgage rates have been steadily kind of going up. Or, or last few weeks, I'm, I'm trying to think. I, I know the release last week was for highest uh, rate since July, but then today I think Freddie Mac uh, came with down a little bit on uh, below three percent again. So, but you know, on average, the forecast is for about three point four percent through 2022. You know, and that, that's favorable, um, and it's still you know in historical terms a very uh, uh, affordable rate. I mean. Particularly comparing to, you know, say uh, in the midst of the pre-Great Recession, it was 4.5% rate. So this is, you know, almost a, a point percentage point and a half now still lower. Um, so, so, but, but I think as rates go up, that you know, as I said, that, that does make some buyers step away. Uh, we are also the third thing is we also expecting more inventory. You know, I know we've been expecting it for a while now, but you know, since the lows in uh, winter of this year, like in you know February, March, and then uh, coming into the spring, you know, on a month-to-month basis, we've seen some increases, and that has helped. Unfortunately, we had more buyers than than new homes uh, on the market, but uh, you know, I, I think you know now going into winter, you know, that's not going to be so much of. Uh, uh, a favorable uh, contributor, but but in the spring of next year, I think we are likely to see much more listings, new listings on the market, 
Uh, and that will also help take pressure off uh, off of the home uh, price acceleration. And then the other thing is, you know, some people will are exiting forbearance right now. So three in four be, uh, borrowers in forbearance plans are due to expire over the next few months. And so, you know, with the, all the equity they have uh, generated in their home, they could decide to sell their home instead of, uh, you know, going through some type of modification or or whatever the case may be, hopefully maybe to, to avoid a foreclosure as well. So, you know, so I think longer term, all these things will contribute. You know, as you said, our forecast for home price appreciation in August of next year is only 2%. So that's, you know, significant deceleration from 18% growth that we're seeing today. So, you know, I think slowly all these things are going to come together and, and bring this uh, appreciation down. I wanted to ask a follow-up question of that in that same vein. Mortgage rates, they're back down to 2.99% according to Freddie Mac. Um, and like buyer fatigue and all that stuff. So with that only 2% forecast for next year, do you think we're already over like the hump, so to speak? Like we're already on the return or do you foresee there to be any more hurdles in the road? Like, how do you think that's going to go down over the next year with that forecast? Yeah. So uh, we we do think we are at the peak of home price acceleration. So that what that means is each month since the onset of the pandemic, home prices were growing at faster pace. Uh, looking over the next few months, we will see slower, so less than 18%, you know, so it goes down 17, 16, 15, and so forth, until we reach that 2% uh, in August of this year. So I, I think we are at that peak right now. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Selma, is there anything else you'd like to say about the report, CoreLogic, or the market in general? Or is there anything you and your team want to plug? Um. Well, um, let's see. I mean, there's so many things because we have so many data, we can talk all day long about, you know, what, what our data is showing. But, um, you know, I, I think we covered quite a bit. I mean, I could talk more, but it depends on how much time you, <laughs> you know, I, I think in terms of home prices, this is probably the, the, the you know, most important part of it. And I just wanted to mention that we um, are going to put this report on the Housing Wire article. We will link it. So if you guys want to take a look for yourself, um, that is where it'll be. Um, and the report has some great information. CoreLogic has some great info and research on their website. So be sure to check that out. And Selma, Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was wonderful talking to you today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure talking to you as well. Of course. Listeners, if you guys like this episode and the content that we put out, please feel free to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform you listen on. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in tomorrow for more Housing Wire Daily. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingware.com forward slash membership.
Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. I hope you have a great afternoon. If you haven't already, make sure to hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on all the hottest stories crossing our news desk daily. The podcast is now available wherever you like to listen. Make sure to tune in tomorrow.